right. Uh, we'll read real quick the principles for Elephant in the Room, uh, just to kind of ground us as we get going. I know many of you have been to uh, these before. Number one, we're considering these issues from a biblical Christian perspective. This means that personal experiences, opinions, and politics are not directly related to our concerns. Concerns. You won't get an atheist perspective at Elephant in the Room. Uh, so neither one of those these people are, will be doing that. Number two, we believe that people who love Jesus deeply can have extremely opposite beliefs on very important issues. This is called pervasive interpretive pluralism. The historical fact that very faithful Christians have come to completely different conclusions on certain issues with the exact same scriptures in front of them. Um, and so this should say something meaningful, I think, to us that uh, people who love Jesus a lot and follow him faithfully sometimes come to very different conclusions. Uh, so we believe, apart from a few key things, uh, a person's Christian confession identity should not be questioned because of an opinion on issues like these. Uh, also, despite the lack of agreement, there is a right or wrong answer. It is worth uh, looking at and, and trying to seek. And then the last one, the seeking of the truth during our time together must consist of gentle and respectful language and prayerful listening. Uh, so the way we'll do it is we'll have our uh, a speaker go, a speaker go, a short response, short response, and then we'll open up for dialogue uh, with all of us. Tonight's topic is gender roles, so the question of uh, the role particularly that women should play in the church and at home, uh, not to single out the ladies uh, or exclude the men, um, but the issue of the role of men has not historically really been a question. The men have always kind of done whatever they wanted to do, uh, and so the more interesting question is the role that women play. Uh, so there's two primary positions that we'll be looking at tonight. Come on in. Uh, and the... Uh, They'll be represented by each one of these uh, ladies up here. The first one is complementarianism. So complementarianism is probably the more traditional view. This is the belief that men and women are created to have different complementary roles. Thus, while some gifts and callings may overlap in the church and at home, leadership and roles of authority are ultimately assigned to men, and submission and roles of support are assigned to women. Uh, Michelle will be presenting the side of complementarianism tonight. Uh, and then the second position is egalitarianism. Uh, and this is the belief that men and women are created to have equal capacities for all roles. So those, uh, thus women who are so-called may hold any role of leadership in the church uh, and biblical marriage, as far as that goes, entails an equal partnership. Uh, and those are kind of the two opposite viewpoints that we'll be looking at tonight. Um, unlike some topics that we do here at the church, uh, we have said uh, out loud that these are not the church's answers. These are not some kind of authoritative coming down on an issue. Um, but tonight's topic is a little bit special in the sense that uh, while you don't have to agree with one or other of these, these issues or viewpoints, uh, and certainly I think among our church there are differing viewpoints. I think you'll find both of these positions just in people I've talked to. The church itself does have a stance. The church itself is egalitarian. Okay, if you can't recognize that in the language and the talk, uh, you'll notice this because women preach at the church. And this is something that makes our church stand out in large in a large amount from other churches uh, in America and in kind of the Western world. Um, and so, again, it's not that you have to agree with it, right? But just in terms of being honest and fair uh, with what's going on, the church itself does have an egalitarian stance. It's not something to hide or to shy away from. Again, you can disagree and belong to the church and be a, a faithful part of what we're doing here. Um, but just want to be on the table with that. Again, this is Jessica. I don't know if I introduced Jessica. Uh, Jessica and I first met in a Hebrew class many years ago. Uh, and we've been blessed to have Jimmy. We've got actually nuts. Right here. Pass it up. Uh, we've been blessed to have Jimmy and Jessica be with us at the church. She'll be uh, presenting the egalitarian position uh, this evening as we look at the role uh, that Christians should have, or the view that Christians should have of the role of women in Christianity. 
So with all of that, we'll get started. Michelle will go first, presenting the complimentarian view. Okay. Um, so as Micah said, we have we do have a bit of an egalitarian stance, and I have preached in front of you before. So I uh, jokingly told Mike that I have my uh, resignation on hand at the end of this if I've convinced you. Um, so points of clarification here uh, for the complementarian view. Um, as Mike said, complementarians do not view women as having inherently lesser value than men. So that's a point of clarification and nuance. This is not what they're saying. Uh, they believe that both male and female were created in the image of God and can receive salvation, baptism, be full participants in communion, things like that. Um, so in that way, women and men are seen as equal. Um, they believe that both males and females have vital roles to play in the kingdom, but those roles are different. Uh, so you might think of, this is a, not the best analogy in the world, but you might think of in segregation days, separate but equal, right? So they are separate, they are different, but they are equal. That would be the complementarian view. Uh, so the main points uh, that they would have for their support of this view, uh, the first would be that even before the fall, um, which the egalitarian view will, will contest that, even before the fall, Genesis 3, women were viewed in a support role not in a leadership role. So a lot of egalitarians will say that it was, that women being submitted in submission to men is a response to the fall. Um, that is a, a broken world. But uh, if you have, I think there's some Bibles there if you want to go ahead and open up to Genesis 2. We'll take a look there. Genesis 2, 18 through 24. So this is after God has created Adam. And he says, The Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Note the word helper. Um, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast and field um, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whenever the man called every living thing, that was his name. So Adam is placed in a position of authority. Uh, naming is a creative act, right? God creates and then names things. It's only Adam here that specified that does that. Uh, and the man gave all the livestock and birds, but he didn't find a helper fit for him. So he caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, one of his uh, took one of his ribs and closed it up, its place up with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So two clues from that story. Woman was created second, and she is created as a helper. She is created in a support role, not in an authority role. And this is before the fall. Um, so again, they're both created in the image of God, uh, but there is an implied hierarchy. So the second point, uh, this is in relation to the fall. Uh, so it was Eve in the Genesis story. This is my second point here on the complementarian view. It was Eve who was deceived, and her sin, according to the complementarian view, uh, was to not accept the leadership of her husband. So if um, 
We'll flip over to that story as well. So in Genesis 3. Okay. Uh, so Genesis 3, verse 12. The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me. And then he goes on to give curses to all of mankind. Um, but a specific one for the woman. Um, and at the very end, uh, uh, in verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth uh, children. Your desire shall be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. So while in the Genesis 2 scenario she is satisfied with her helper role, the curse of the fall is she's going to want that position of authority. Um, and the reason for the fall was not listening to her authority figure in place, Adam. Okay. Uh, next point that I make is that Scripture, uh, New Testament, clearly forbids uh, women in teaching roles or as roles of the head of the household. So these are commonly taken from the pastoral letters. So if you'll flip your Bibles over to 1 Timothy, we'll read... going to be 1 Timothy 2, uh, 11 through 15. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And here he brings in the argument that I just did from Genesis. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, who, dece who was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Um, so it brings in the curse. Obviously you have that, that verse about being saved and childbearing, right? Um, so we wonder what that means. But in the complementarian view, they would say that the role of women is ultimately a support, a helper role, and the highest call for a woman is motherhood, being in charge of her own household, her children. Um, so that's how they would interpret that text. Uh, we also have, and I have a slew of these verses, Titus 2. I may have to that for the sake of time. Um, So Titus 2 is giving instructions to older men and women. But as you teach, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, yada, yada, yada. Older men, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. So they're not training young men. Train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. So this is where they say the primary space of work for a woman is at home kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. So this is considered the roles that women are supposed to play here. Um, so they're there to train young women and stay within that field. Uh, and then lastly, there's some good ones in Corinthians, but I'll just, let's do Ephesians. 
Um, Ephesians 5. So Paul is making a comparison between Christ and the church, and then he um, applies that analogy to a marriage. Um, So Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So what Paul is arguing here, and what the complementarian view would claim, is that the, the marriage of man and woman, and ultimately the picture of a woman submitting to a man, is a picture of the gospel. It is... It is a witness. It is a living witness out to the world. So if there is not that submission, it no longer becomes a witness out into the world. That would be the, the logic. Um, let's see. I'm going to leave it to Jessica to bring up those 1 Corinthians verses, or I'll just bring them up in the rebuttal. Um, <clears throat> and I'll move on. So as you can see, there are several scriptures that seem to clearly state that a woman is in a submissive role, that she is to submit. Um, now, the ones that I mentioned were primarily household, but if you remember in the first Timothy, I don't permit a woman to teach. So she is not to be in a teaching role. Technically, I should not even be doing this because there's McDonald's right now. Um, so uh, that would be the complementarian view. Um, second point that they're going to make, or this is actually my fourth, Jesus did not place the women around him in leadership roles. Now, Jesus was absolutely revolutionary in how he treated women for his time in that he actually would allow them to follow him and become disciples. However, he did not place women in authoritative roles. The 12 disciples were men. There were no women among the disciples. Um, So while he was revolutionary in that he would teach them, he did not raise them up to an authoritarian level. So it is okay and permissible for a woman to learn, but not necessarily to teach. So you get that, that would be their um, drawing from that. Next point, the majority of church history um, takes a complementarian view regarding women in leadership. From 200 AD on, all the early church fathers and pretty much all the church, the hierarchy is set up that only men are in leadership positions. They are, only men are bishops. Um, Before that, you could argue that women were seen in leadership roles, but from the 200s on, it was mainly men in leadership, and it was specifically spelled out that women should not be in leadership. Um, So we have a a clear um, precedent set by the tradition. If we're going to deal with the egalitarian view, we have to deal with that. Uh, Let's see. So um, one of the things that probably resulted in them um, restricting leadership to men is that you had the Gnostic heresy. So Gnosticism was on the rise. Uh, And one of the things about Gnosticism is that it was focused on your spirituality. So if you're focused on yourself as a spiritual being, then your physicality doesn't matter. So your gender difference, if you're ultimately male or female, doesn't matter. So Gnosticism was very liberating for the women of the day. It actually gave them more opportunity than Christianity. So women were flocking to Gnosticism. And that was the heresy that was 
that was the most dangerous to the early church. So the church responded in that way, probably to combat the Gnostic heresy. But again, this goes back to the complementarian view, women are susceptible to deception. Women were the ones who were getting into that Gnostic heresy, so we got to shut it down and have male leadership. Uh, okay, last point, um, and this is not based on text or history, uh, but rather a social point. So many complementarians will claim that egalitarian views on women have had harmful effects um, on the gospel and scripture and also on church and home life. So many feminist arguments have a low view of scripture, mm -hmm. since many scriptures speak very plainly about women not allowed in leadership, many feminists have responded by saying that scripture and the early church fathers were sexist, and that we, those scriptures themselves are oppressive, and so we need to either kind of set them in their cultural context or ignore them completely. Um, so it leads to, it, it, again, it's a slippery slope argument, but it leads to a low view of scripture. Uh, biblical f uh, feminism, according to the complementarian view, has also caused confusion in the household and workplace. So many stay-at-home moms now feel guilty for not working um, in a traditional job setting. Uh, and their work as a mother, so motherhood, because of feminism, has become undervalued. The value of the work of a stay-at-home mom has become pushed back and seen as unworthy because of biblical feminism. Also, uh, according to complementarians, biblical feminism has led to a more aggressive type of woman um, who no longer desires to submit. So it has created um, an excuse to, to be ungodly, to not submit. Um, let's see. So this then produces strain on marriage. They, they would cite this, one of my books, uh, says women preachers divorced and a gay bishop, what's the link? So they, they literally link these things. So because of biblical feminism, this has led to instability in the home because the roles are now not defined, they're confused. And so there's more confrontation and tension. Um, so many feminists uh, using Galatians 3.28 have also used this verse to support homosexuality. So again, slippery slope argument, but the dangers they would claim are real and have happened and have, are, are already happening. Uh, so, biblical feminism, this is um, just their summary, in short, leads to the emasculation of man, um, and instead of offering mutual submission, leads to another type of grasping for power. So instead of the women, or I'm sorry, the men who are in the oppressive role, now the women have found the power position and are oppressing men. Um, and so, this is at the expense of male leadership that we so desperately need in our churches today. Um, and the majority of, so if you look at the stats, the majority of church missionaries are female. The majority of people active in church today, female. The majority of educators today, female. Um, so the concern amongst complementarians is that the male no longer have a voice, that their, their voice has been silenced. Um, so what are the roles? And then, then I'll be done. How am I doing on time? You're good. Okay. Um, what are the roles that are available to men and women? According to the complementarian view, um, the primary roles for males is one of servant leadership. So they're 
they are big to say that it is a servant leadership that should not be um, in the ideal utopian view it should not be a man oppressing a woman he is a servant leader um, so any leadership role at church and home um, and he is the final decision maker if there's some decision that needs to be made and there's no agreement he's the final decision maker uh, second role will be teaching He's responsible for raising up both his kids and the congregation in the wisdom of the Lord. So he's responsible for the teaching. Uh, and third is financial. The husband is to be the provider of the household. Um, and it is his role to protect his family, whatever the cost. Uh, so what are the roles for the female? Uh, first would be service and submission. Obvious. Um, so a woman is charged with the role of supporting both her husband or the church if she's single. Um, so celibacy is a noble call from the Lord, although it puts a strain on what they would say would be the, the highest calling of motherhood. So, but if you are single, um, then you are to provide yourself in a support role in your church, a serving role in your church, um, in your community. Motherhood, okay, this is the second role. A woman is charged with the responsibility of keeping the household in order and rearing the children. Um, if a mother... If a woman is a mother, then it is her duty to make child-rearing, raising up her child, the priority. So imagine the Proverbs 31 woman. That is, that is your task. Uh, and then teaching, and I say that with quotations. So women are allowed to teach their children, and depending on the denomination, they may teach other children up to a certain age. So think of like the age of accountability. And some of us think like, the, this is the time when it's, you know, if they die, where are they going to go? Um, so usually around the age of 12. So once women, uh, children have reached the, a certain age, the women must limit their teaching to other women and not to a mixed gender audience. All right. Okay. Thank you, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Next, we'll turn the floor to Jessica, uh, who will present for us the egalitarianism position. All right, liberate us, Jessica. Okay. <laughs> um, so when we talk about uh, gender roles, we want to realize that we're talking about a spectrum here. And so while these maybe are kind of the predominant views, you go anywhere from like real strict patriarchy um, to real, I don't know what the word would be, liberated. <laughs> There's no difference between uh, male and female. And so um, what I'm presenting is, I guess, kind of the majority view um, for egalitarianism and the premises for that is the main argument is that roles in the church and home are gift based and not gender based um, so I'm going to go through just a couple affirmations of what egalitarianism also it's being called mutuality um, nowadays um, some of the things that this viewpoint affirms um, so egalitarianism affirms that women and men are created equal uh, both in uh, imago Dei or both in the image of God um, and as a side note, this is a different discussion, I'm not going to get into it, but we say in the image of God, who is spirit, and so we recognize he's neither male or female. Um, and then the next point is that egalitarianism, it affirms that men and women are equal in authority and responsibility. Um, so we looked at Genesis 2 um, for the creation account, but there's also the creation account in Genesis 1, um, where we recognize that men and women both share authority, dominion, and agency in the world. Um, if you want to flip to Genesis 1, 26 to 28, I'll go ahead and read this for us. Um, so this is uh, 
after God has created the plants and the animals, and now he gets to in 26 to 28. So then God said, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth. Uh, God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every creature that moves on the ground. Um, so here we see uh, man of, male and female are created together and they are sharing uh, responsibility um, and command from God to subdue the earth, to take care of the earth. Um, he doesn't say, hey man, you're in charge, women, you are in some sort of subordinate role. The charge is to both of them. Um, so there's nothing in the Genesis account, even in chapter, uh, Genesis 2, that describes man's role as leader. No words are used to kind of say this is the guy that's in charge um, and the woman is second in command um, or that the woman's role is subordinate. Um, and so whatever you want to do with Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, that's another elephant in the room. But I guess y'all just had it. I don't know if y'all yeah. touched on it. Um, <laughs> So, but here we see a picture of not, there's not this creation order. If we go by creation order in this count, then the animals should have authority over mm. humankind. Um, so, just something to think about when we start talking about creation order. Um, if you do want to go with who comes first, we see throughout, um, this is kind of a side note, we, 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 side note, we see throughout scripture that God's redemptive pattern usually isn't to pick uh, the one that's first. So, mm. Isaiah... Uh, not Isaiah, um, Isaac is chosen over Ishmael, Jacob is chosen over Esau, um, David over his brothers. Um, so that pattern would kind of mess with our understanding of, you know, whatever comes first is the one that is in charge. Um, so when we move on to this word in uh, Genesis 2, so woman known as what we commonly tra translate as helper or helpmate, uh, it's the Hebrew word azer, and... Um, this word in the Hebrew, it doesn't necessarily necessitate, uh, necessitate um, some kind of subordinate role. Um, and we see that God is actually referred to as Azer multiple times throughout the Old Testament um, as, God, as Israel's helper. Um, it's the same Hebrew word um, and used frequently for God. And so there's a note um, from the Net Bible that I wanted to read that says, that, So the usage of the Hebrew word term does not suggest a subordinate role. Um, even though our connotation of the English helper, we kind of see it that way, but that's not even necessarily what helper means. Um, so we see that in the Bible, God is frequently described as the helper, um, the one who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, and the one who meets our needs. So in this context, the word um, azer seems to express the idea of an indispensable companion. Um, so the woman would supply what the man was lacking in the design of creation, and logically it would follow that the man would supply what she was lacking, um, although that's not explicitly stated here. And um, as a response, I guess, to Adam naming um, the woman, we see it first in his kind of song or poem to her where he called, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she's taken out of man. Um, the Hebrew there, it's a play on words because the Hebrew word for man is ish and the hebrew word for woman is isha so i think it's more showing kind of that idea of the in indispensable companion not him naming her because it doesn't actually give her a name eve until after the fall mm -hmm. um i think it's at the end of chapter three that we see that yeah. um 
So uh, egalitarians would say that hierarchy, so the, the ordering, so one's in leadership and the other one's subordinate, that this hierarchy happens after the fall. Um, we see in Genesis 3.16 um, that it says you'll want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. So this is not before the fall, this is after the fall. And so we start to see the struggle between man and woman for control. Um, but we would say, egalitarian, the egalitarian position would say that um, the curse, which is this part of the curse after the fall, that we don't live by the curse anymore. Mm -hmm. um, that Christ has come and taken on the curse for us, and we live as new creation people. And so to try and impose this hierarchy um, would be to live under the curse. Mm -hmm. um, Mimi Haddad, who is the president of, there's a group called Christians for Biblical Equality, um, states that to hold that men and women are equal in being but unequal in authority strips the term equal of its essential meaning. So to deny females equal authority not because of their character, their intimacy with Christ, or their giftedness, but solely because of gender, a fixed and unchangeable condition, creates communities, organizations, churches, and marriages that are inherently unjust. Excuse me. Because they deny a people group shared authority based on an unchangeable condition, which is gender. Um, so we feel egalitarians would say that this separate but equal doesn't really seem equal. Um, even if you want to call it, even if you want to call it equal, it doesn't, it's not true equality. Um, so the next point is that egalitarians affirm that men and women are both responsible for and distorted by sin. Um, so we see in 1 Timothy 2 that the emphasis is on Eve's responsibility, but we also see in Romans chapter 5. Um, in other places that the emphasis is on Adam. And so there's this shared responsibility that both have sinned, um, both have fallen and are responsible for sin and, and have been distorted by it. Um, next point, egalitarianism affirms that women and men are equally redeemed by Christ. Um, I'm saying I'm a lot, I'm sorry. Uh, so some of the verses we would look at, so a universal, te universal text like John 3.16, um, so that all can be saved by Jesus. And then Galatians 3.28, if you want to flip there. Oops. Eight minutes? Oh, man, I got to book it. Um, okay, so Galatians 3, um, where am I at? 28. Okay, so it says there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, which is, is actually a bad translation. It should say there is neither male and female. Um, that's the different connective. It's not, there's a different one for the first two ones. That's, um, so slave nor free, um, or Jew nor Greek. And then you have uh, the, the connective, which is a chi, which creates more, it's a different kind of connective or conjunction, you might say. Um, so it should be this neither male and female, pointing back to creation. Um, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And so the point that Paul is making in Galatians is one of them is that circumcision is no longer the marker of God's people. So that would be in the Old Testament. Um, would You'd enter into God's people by being circumcised. And obviously it was the men that were circumcised. Um, but now it's baptism. And baptism is something that both men and women can participate in. And so we see in this passage in Galatians that both men and women can fully participate in the life of God's people, and that while it does seem to be talking about salvation and spiritual issues, we know that we can't separate the spiritual from the physical, that 
the spiritual implications have an effect on the way that we relate to each other um, socially within the church. Um, and so one of these points is that ethnic, social, and gender ranking has no place in Christ. Um, I'm going to go real fast. <laughs> um, egalitarianism affirms that men and women are equally gifted by the Holy Spirit and that we have equal responsibility to use those gifts. So we see um, there's a lot of verses. I don't know if I, I think they should be on your handout. But Acts 2, 1 through 18 with Pentecost, um, when the Spirit comes down and um, we see the prophecy from Joel and that it says that the Spirit will be poured out on both men and women and your young women and your young men will prophesy. Um, so the, the Spirit seems to gift irregardless of gender. Um, so that's I want to go. Those are the kind of the big points of Egalitarianism. Do I still have a few more minutes? You have ten minutes left. How many? Ten minutes. Ten? Yeah. Oh, I thought you said eight. A while you ago. have done eight minutes. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Anyways. Okay. So I'm going to go over real quick. Roles in the home and then roles in the church. Um, and my roles in the home is a little bit shorter because I spent more time in the other one. Um, but mutual, uh, egalitarianism would argue for mutual, su mutual submission. And so when we look at the way that men and women are supposed to be in the home, usually we look at like Ephesians 5. Um, and what these things are called, like household codes. So you see usually husband and wife paired together and then masters and slaves. Um, so what it seems that Paul is doing in these different instances, like what we read in Ephesians 5. Did we read Ephesians 5? Yeah, just okay. 22 and 23. Um, let me see. I guess we can go to there. If you want to flip to Ephesians 5. Okay, and we're going to start in verse 21 um, that says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, and in the Greek, actually, there is no verb. It borrows from the verse before it. Um, so wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord, um, and then goes on and on. And then um, you get to children, obey your parents, and then at the, I'm going to six. I'm trying to skip a lot, sorry. And then 6-5, slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Um, so we have a lot of talk about um, submission. But notice verse 21 is important because it talks about submitting to one another. Um, so we see that what Paul's doing here is that he's speaking to these household codes were not invented by the writers of Scripture. These are things that already existed in the culture. Um, so he's saying to live by in the sense that the culture in but he he doesn't just leave it at that because he challenges the cultural expectations by expecting mutual submission to ask a husband to submit to his wife would have been countercultural. um but however the whole system is not immediately overthrown he doesn't just throw it all out the window in the same way this is one of those issues where we'd want to employ what we call a redemptive movement hermeneutic and so this would be similar to the way that we view slavery. Um, some people, not everybody, but some people would view war. Um, is that we see that the Bible's positions on certain issues are on a progressive tra trajectory. So they don't throw everything out immediately. But there's something, we see a path that's getting better and better and better with these issues. Um, so there's not, the way I like to characterize it, um, is that there's not a specific Christian culture, but there is a way to be Christian in whatever culture uh, you find yourself in, and I think eventually, when we live by these principles of faith, hope, and love, um, and ultimately love of others over love of self, that's characterized by mutual submission, that um, the culture begins to be transformed. Um, so quickly, uh, roles in the church. Um, 
we'll look at quickly Jesus and women and then Jesus and Paul. So some examples that we see um, from the Gospels, uh, one of the biggest places a lot of egalitarians like to start here is that the first people to um, proclaim the resurrection were actually women. So the women were the first to arrive at the empty tomb, and Jesus tells them, go tell the apostles. So they're kind of Mary Magdalene, and some of the other women are um, often known as the apostle to the apostles. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of those central tenets of our faith, that Jesus is risen from the dead. They were entrusted with that message. Um, and second, we have Jesus is anointed by women. We know this passage is from Mark 14 and Luke 7 and John um, 11 through 12, which is anointing could symbolize um a priestly action, and it does seem that Jesus accepts it. He says that she's done something good. Um, third, we have Mary and Martha, the story of uh, the two sisters. Um, this is from Luke 10, 38 through 42, if you want to read there, uh, turn there. I'm going to read. My translation is probably, I'm using a different one than an ESV, but it's close, probably, hopefully. <laughs> um, but I'll go ahead and read it. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. But Martha was distracted with all the preparations she had to make, so she came up to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. Mary has chosen the best part. It will not be taken away from her. Um, so one of the important things to note about this is that for Mary to be sitting at the, at the feet of Jesus, that she would have been in the male part of the house. So they had different parts of the house, so the women would stay in the back, and then the men had this area where they would come and um, talk and learn from teachers. So it's a big deal that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus um, in this part of the house. Um, N.T. Wright says something, as comments on this, and says she is sitting at his, at his feet, which is a phrase which doesn't mean what it would mean today. We might think of it as the adoring student gazing up in admiration and love at the wonderful teacher. But as is clear from the use of the phrase elsewhere in the New Testament, so for instance, Paul with Gamaliel, to sit at the teacher's feet is a way of saying you are being a student, picking up the teacher's wisdom and learning. And in that very practical world, you wouldn't do this just for the sake of informing your own mind and heart, but in order to be a teacher, a rabbi yourself. Um, so moving on to Paul and women. How much time I got? <laughs> You've got four minutes. Okay, I can do this. Um, so I'm going to address the same passages that um, Michelle did with the complementarianism um, to support our argument. With, that our, Both sides actually find support from the same text. So um, just to note um, that for the, to the people that Paul was writing with around this time period, um, there's been evidence that there's this, what they call this new Roman woman um, started to appear. Um, she was characterized as like a sexually liberated woman. Um, evidence of changing social mores um, among, among these women, which resulted in neglect of husband and children, household affairs, in exchange for social life possibly involving extramarital affairs. Um, so what I wanted to just point out, I forgot to point out in the middle, uh, the beginning, is that when we talk about feminism, it's really, we got to categorize because not all feminism can be painted with the same brush. Um, so you have what some people would call Christian feminism or biblical feminism, and there's three different waves. There's probably another one out there now too, but um, Christ, uh, Christians were actually involved with the first wave of uh, feminism. Uh, but then you have this third wave, which is the 60s and 70s, and that's where you meet this sexually liberated woman. 
And that thing's more in line with, with what's happening here, and it's not what egalitarianism would support. So just a side note on that. Um, so evidence that we see of Paul supporting um, women in leadership positions and teaching positions. So in 1 Corinthians 11, um, 2, 2 through 16, I don't know that we have time to read it yet, but um, this is where Paul's talking about when the women prophesy, make sure they have their head covered and the men have their heads uncovered. One thing that this tells us is that while the women were standing up in church and they were prophesying, um, and also in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about how uh, the different gifts are distributed, and first we have apostles, second we have prophecy, and third we have teachers. And so you have um, these gifts that are seen as having equal, at least equal authority, if not the apostles and prophecy being of greater authority. Um, so for women to be seen as um, able to have the gift of prophecy and to exercise it is important. Um, the first, and then you also, we didn't bring that up, so I'm not going to, you didn't talk about 1 Corinthians 14. I was going to bring it up in my rebuttal. Okay, I'll wait then. Right. <laughs> so 1 Timothy 2, 12-17 is really, that's the crux interpretum for this. That's kind of the one that hinges on, because people read that, and that's the one that pops out as, well, obviously that's a clear reading. Um, so, I think you've already said that. Um, so egalitarian interpretation, this is like the majority, again, there's various interpretations, but they would say that, the um, First Timothy passage is not a blanket prohibition, but it's addressing a particular people at a particular time in a particular situation. Um, so we realize that to be responsible readers of Scripture, um, that context is important. Um, the flat reading is not always the most accurate reading, and it's not always the most responsible reading. Um, so responsible exegesis understands the importance of the surrounding context, um, especially because this is a letter that Paul had written to um, a particular community. Um, and we see, I wanted to read the beginning of 1 Timothy, um, in chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Um, so he get, Paul gives his introduction that he's writing to Timothy, and he says, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, Excuse me. Not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. Um, so we get right off the bat that he, uh, Paul, is addressing the issue that there's heresy um, running about in this church, and you see all throughout this letter to Timothy that Paul is addressing that. And so egalitarians would say, because of the circumstances of the time, that Paul is not putting a blanket prohibition on women teaching. It's addressing, this is for a specific time because of the type of heresy that was happening um, here. Um, so, I'm trying to think a couple of issues. <laughs> um, so in the context, it seems most likely that through um, their being deceived or so women being deceived, there was a false content to their teaching and that this element included some kind of emancipatory tendency, especially by wealthy women. Um, going back to kind of this new Roman woman. And also, this letter was addressed to the church. Uh, Timothy was in Ephesus, and so Ephesus was the home of Artemis, um, the Greek or Roman god. I don't remember which her Roman or Greek name is. Um, but when it, she was kind of the sexually liberated woman, <laughs> didn't have a male counterpart, um, and also encouraged women not to have children. And so we can kind of start to see how this is making sense that this is addressing uh, a specific heresy and not a blanket prohibition which would not make sense 
and the broader spectrum of scripture where Paul is um, seeing women are in position. And I know I've run out of time. And I have. I'll wrap yeah. it up. Um, sure. Okay. One more point on that word uh, in that passage. There, the Greek word "authentain" is kind of the one that hinges on. Um, a lot of translations will say um, "have authority." Um, this is the only time it occurs in the Bible, uh, in the Greek New Testament. Um, it's kind of a rare word, and it's it's a bit um, unusual. Um, a lot of the connotations that in other places where it's used is a very negative thing, so it's to rule or to dominate, um, a negative sense of authority. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons that Galatians will, are a bit more cautious to say that we know exactly what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was going to give you a list of examples of women, but I can do that later. <laughs> Thank you, Jessica. Yeah. She did have a handout that uh, she made available to us, which uh, is, we're not able to get to all of it that's on there in rebuttal or in discussion. Uh, I think a useful resource for you. Uh, two large sections in particular that she's alluding to. She has a list of women in Christian tradition in the Old Testament, the New Testament, the early church, and then a few myths regarding egalitarianism. Um, that would be helpful as well. Thank you to do it. Okay, we'll turn it over for a quick rebuttal uh, from Michelle, and then we'll have another quick rebuttal from Jessica. We'll open it up and have a uh, nice discussion. Okay. Uh, very quick, uh, just a few things that I wanted to bring up. Um, I didn't get to read 1 Corinthians 14, so I will read it now and then uh, let Jessica deal with it in her <laughs> rebuttal. Um, so in 1 Corinthians 14, if you want to turn there, starting in verse 13, um, sorry, 33, um, it says, For God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. So he's talking about orderly worship. Things in Corinth were getting out of control. Um, and so... And following that, it says, As in all churches of the saints, the women should should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission. So there's that word again. As the law also says, If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husband at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. I would like to see what Jessica would have to say to that text. So um, I think what, what a complementarian would say would respond to um, with the idea of First Timothy, which I'm sure she's going to bring up in First Corinthians, about there being some heresy, there being some issues of orderly and worship, there seems to be a common denominator, and the common denominator seems to be women. Mm. Um, so, and again, in the 200s, when we have the Gnostic heresy, again, common denominator, there seemed to be women who were taking this heresy and kind of going with it. So I think a complementarian might cautiously say, um, I think that there is a link there. I think that perhaps God has given the authority and the teaching authority to men for a specific reason. Um, so, and then uh, again, in response to looking at the context, I think a complementarian would respond by saying, um, even though the Bible is written in a specific context, it has now been given to the church. It is a revelation of God to us. So if it doesn't have anything to say to us, what is the point of reading it? If, if we, and I think people have used that example with Jesus of the Gospels too, if we make it all about this first century context, then is, are the Gospels no longer relevant to us? What, how then do we read the text? I think that's the, the question underlying both of our um, positions. Um, and I'm also curious, uh, Jessica, you didn't mention this in the first Timothy, what your interpretation of the saved through childbirth would be. The complementarian would say that the role for a woman, the highest calling, what she is saved, not 
you know, justification or things like that, but her high calling is childbearing, is, is motherhood. So that would, those are my questions. Okay. All right. Um, I don't want to forget anything. For the heresy and the women connection, uh, I would comment that uh, I think all the heresies that I know by name are named after men. So, <laughs> Marcion and uh, Nestorianism, Polynesian, yeah. So, um, yeah. <laughs> and like I pointed out, and it's and it's in other places too where Paul does address uh, by name um, men that are associated with heresy. Um, and so I think that kind of goes into how do we apply this text today, that there is an application, um, is that the, it should affect the, the way that we teach and the way that we approach leadership positions, that it should be a grab for authority, um, as well as that this would be applicable to men if this was happening, but this specific situation with women. If you see earlier in First Timothy, it's addressing um, in chapter 2, um, Paul is saying, um, I desire, this is verse 8, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Um, we would assume logically that the women shouldn't fight with each other either when they're praying. But this seems to be an issue that was happening in the church of Ephesus, that the men were fighting with each other um, and quarreling. Um, again, right after that, in, in, in 9, we see it's addressing the, the way women are dressing. So it seems to be addressing... Uh, some specific issues within this church. Um, I'm trying to think what else we talked about. The saving child birth. Oh, yeah. Thing I mentioned. Um, that would be one of the tip-offs of why we would need to read this verse a little slowly um, because we know that that would go against um, kind of the heart of Paul's message that you're saved by grace and that it's Christ. It's not um, anything that act that we can do, including having children, um, I think that scripture would say that the highest calling for a woman is the same as the highest calling for a man, and that's to be a disciple of Christ. Um, but it doesn't discount that motherhood is a very good thing, but that would be very problematic for a woman that would be infertile or chose not to have kids if she was somehow not going to be saved then um, because she couldn't, for some reason, bear children. Um, it seems to be, again, tied up to this um, heresy that, um, again, going back to that new Roman woman where there's evidence that the women were avoiding pregnancy, um, sometimes having abortion, but also attempting to hide pregnancies because of the way it made them look. Um, one of the, the, the things with the new Roman woman is very concerned with their appearance. That's what we see right before that passage where it's talking about how they're done up. Um, and also there was a bit of fear tied into childbearing because it was dangerous in some sense. Um, so I think Paul is trying to assure them that not save them in the uh, sense of the soteriological sense, but the, that God will be with you through that and will pr preserve you. And that childbearing is still a very good thing um, and something that Christian women oops, can participate in. Um, so, yeah, those are my... Is that... Is it? What about First Corinthians 14? Oh, oh yeah. Um, Again, the, well, the egalitarian position, there's multiple ones in that. Um, I'll give you, I guess, the simplest one <laughs> would be that, again, this is a specific situation in which um, the women were, and probably wives, it's interesting that they go back and forth between husbands and then they say it's shameful for a woman to speak and not a wife. 
Um, in the Greek, the word for man and, and husband is the same, same as woman and wife. So, um, but this translation says, in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent. Um, let them ask their husbands at home. So this is assuming, we're going to assume this is talking about wives since they have husbands at home. And um, what egalitarians think is that during the, the church assembly is that women who were more uneducated at this time, that was just part of the culture, they weren't as educated as the men, is that someone would be speaking and then the women would be calling out, what does this mean? Or talking amongst them try, themselves, <laughs> trying to figure out what they meant. Um, and so for the sake of order, um, Paul is saying, don't participate in that kind of talking in church because it's disruptive. It's not dealing with um, standing up and speaking, uh, obviously because they're prophesying earlier in the chat in the in the in the letter. Um, so that would address that. Um, as to the tradition, I didn't say anything on that. Um, so the support being in favor of, it would probably be more patriarchy than complementarian, I would I think. So the, as a traditional view, complementarian kind of came out in the 80s as a response to biblical feminism. Um, I would say, I guess, to believe that tradition is helpful and it, it should um, have an influence, but we've also seen that tradition is not infallible. Mm -hmm. If we would have stuck with the traditional view, um, we would probably still say that the Bible supports and affirm slavery as something that's acceptable mm -hmm. um, and probably uh, other issues too. Um, so tradition, I would say it's not infallible. And there is, um, it's smaller evidence, but there is evidence throughout history of women serving in um, these leadership positions and teaching positions, but most of history is written by um, the rich and powerful man. So mm -hmm. that probably has some effect on that <laughs> so um, I don't know if I have any rebuttals or anything did you say anything about the apostles the disciples I was just about to say I didn't I did I said that Jesus did not oh, promote yeah. women as disciples but you kind of addressed that with Mary yes um, one thing I didn't mention was first Timothy 3 but we can we can open it up and, okay. and bring that up right. if that needs yep. to be. Well, thank you, Jessica, and thank you, Michelle. Uh, so the way we normally will do things is if you have any questions for either one of the speakers, uh, we'll take some questions, and that'll typically get us rolling into a nice little discussion, and, and uh, we'll see where the conversation takes us. Zachary. So uh, you know, last week you, you talked about you know what what may have happened that, uh, that caused us to all of a sudden start rethinking our views on creation. And so uh, I, kind of a similar vein for the egalitarian, uh, we, we have years and years behind it, and maybe it is a purely cultural thing, uh, but was there anything <laughs> that prompted this um, to, to say that we should break from Christian tradition and now go this way? Um, and would you think that this would still be a problem if there were not a shortage of godly men to, to take those leadership positions? Okay. Um, for the first part, I would say that it's not like egalitarianism just happened in the, in the early 20th century. Um, I think there have been people, I have a great book, I meant to bring it, it's called The Handbook of Bi uh, Female Women Bible Interpreters, um, and it goes back to the 300. Um, AD, um, showing that women have been 
um, actively looking at the scriptures. Uh, this First Timothy comes up a whole lot. Um, and so while the dominant voice maybe has been patriarchy or complementarians, I think egalitarians have always been um, working itself out trying to become the dominant position. So I don't think it's a response necessarily to anything that's happened recently. Um, I don't know if that answers that part of the question for you. <laughs> um, and then the second, um, I think that women would still feel like they were gifted. I don't think it's about the lack of men, um, gifted men. I mean, I think in our church, we obviously, we have gifted men that are capable of doing that, but you still have women that feel the Spirit has equipped them to do that. So even if there were plenty of men to lead, I still think, I mean, speaking from personal experience, but also from the voice of many other women listening, um, and from what I think Paul says about how the Spirit gifts, that you would still have women desiring to serve that way, um, and that you would need it. Um, as I said, egalitarianism doesn't say that men and women are exactly the same, so there is, in some sense, um, something that men can bring to um, teaching and there's something that women can bring to teaching. And it's not just whatever women can bring is beneficial just to women, but to the whole body. Um, so, yeah. To turn the question on you, Zach, was there something you had in mind as a possible answer to the possible like sociological reasoning behind it? Uh, no. Um, honestly, I just thought voting <laughs> is the... Oh, like in the... Yeah. Um, the, I thought that women's maybe... Women's rights. Yeah, women's, women, rights. women's rights kind of thing was kicking up it's like why, why I think it was I think they were uh, intertwined we I don't yeah. think they were in I don't think they were inseparable so I think women have been preaching or trying to preach all throughout history and then I think with the like I said there's a great I put it on that sheet I think but Julie Clawson she's a blogger but she does this five part series on the history of feminism and actually shows that it actually started with um, men and women in the evangelical church so it wasn't a secular, didn't start as a secular movement, um, but it was men and women who saw that this was a natural implication of the gospel, um, just like the abolishment of slavery, um, moving equality up for women in the social, political, and economic. It's an interesting point as well because it's often the way these things work, that a rival kind of position gains momentum and popularity, and it forces the people who had the dominant position to kind of flesh out anew their position and work out some kinks they might have had that they never had reason to, to understand better. Uh, so there is a wave of so-called neo-complementarianism now, which is trying to do it and address the issues that egalitarians might have come up with that they just never had reason to, to think through more. And in particular, there are a lot of women who hold to neo-complementarianism. I mean, it's for them, it's something that seems scriptural uh, and something that they're comfortable with. And so it's, it's not as if it was the men are complementarians saying, get in your place, and all the women were saying... Right. We went out of our place. Uh, and there's a large, large mm. crossover. And those guys are on my sheet. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I always find interesting, I'm a huge history buff, is is the rise of feminism always tends to follow a great war or a great time when men had to leave the home. And so women found themselves in a place where they had to be on their own and then realized they could be on their own. Um, and I find it interesting now that after two world wars, we've found our place where the men no longer, uh, I don't know the right, the right word, I don't want to use the wrong word, um, <laughs> they're no longer in the home. 
well, for one reason or another, um, generations of children are growing up without fathers. So um, I would love to hear both your positions on what it means to be a dominant male and what that role of, um, of a man should be um, in relation to the children and to his wife. Okay. Um, I think you kind of went over it a little bit more, but yeah, I mean, as much with mine's pretty clear. Like it's yeah. the the male leads. Now I think complementarian would not be comfortable with the word dominate. I, th I think they would say that that a male is to um, be a servant leader. So it's not get in your place. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, for the most part, I think they do view themselves as maybe partners is going too far. <coughs> complementary view, but uh, but the the separate but equal okay. thing, which. As Jessica pointed out, that same critique came up with the segregation movement, right? Mm -hmm. They're not really equal. Um, but that would be the complementarian view that, that they are, for the most part, partners, but the woman does submit and concede if there's disagreement. Um, so mostly when there's just disagreement. Mostly, when there's yeah. discord, it's right. the male's role to solve it. He is the one that's kind of captain think, of the ship. I think what I've heard is at the end of the day, there's rank. Uh, yeah. So it's not something you'd want in an ideal, any kind of ideal relationship. Mm -hmm. But if it came down to it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I don't know what to say about as far as what a dominant man. I mean, we wouldn't want to use dominant either. We uh, egalitarians. But maybe the word you're thinking of like a strong man, like a like a man who is viewed as a like a strong mm. leader mm -hmm. type. Mm. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't think there's a good word other than dominant. Dominant just have such negative connotations that it's, you know, yeah. it's mm -hmm. worded. Um, I think the egalitarian view of the family is that, I mean, if you do have both parts, so uh, a, a husband and wife, a mother and father, that you would have mutual submission. Um, and I was going to read from the Christians for Biblical Equality. They have kind of their highlights, and they comment on this about um, decision making and stuff like that so they say um, in the Christian home husband and wife are to defer to each other in seeking to fulfill each other's preferences desires and aspirations uh, neither spouse is to seek to dominate the other but each is to act as servant of the other in humility considering the others better than oneself and in case of decisional deadlock they should seek resolution through biblical methods of conflict resolution rather than by one spouse imposing a decision upon the other and then in so doing, the husband and wife will help the Christian home stand against improper use of power and authority. Um, and so it's obviously it would be easier for just to be one, have one person make the decision, but um, the egalitarian says that we both operate for mutual submission, looking out for the other's good, and when we come at an impasse, we work through these conflict resolutions um, and try to come to a decision. Um, so I think it will look different in everybody's home and it depends on the situation um but i mean i don't know we have a from personal experience i think we have an egalitarian marriage um you better not say otherwise i know <laughs> <laughs> um, and so i think it's hard work to practice that but mm -hmm. i think that's what we see the the ideal leadership that we see in christ <clears throat> is self-sacrifice and love of others over love of self and mm -hmm. so that goes for both the man and the husband as far as like what fatherhood looks like and masculinity mm -hmm. and women that's that's a big question that I don't know that 
that's like a sociological it's thing a to me. Elephant in the room yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think as far as what I would say, I don't think the Bible puts forth this is and that's what I think is a major flaw of complementarianism. Mm-hmm. They want to say that there are these traits, so one of the big proponents will say like um, protecting and courage and stuff like that are mas- they're gen- they're predominantly masculine traits. Um, and nurturing and stuff like that are feminine. I don't think that's what you see in the Bible. I think those are human characteristics, which I think is good for, I think a, a father needs to be nurturing just as much as a mother needs to be nurturing. And a mother will be brave and protect her children oh, yeah. just as much as a husband will. So, mm-hmm. Those stories always say the mother lifts the car, so yeah. I'm saying. Got <laughs> <laughs> another question? relevant but how do Christians feel or how are we supposed to feel when a female joins the military? I don't know why I added the accent at the end. Military. It's military. (laughs) (laughs) Or the military. That's that's an interesting uh, question. What do you think the complimentary I know I'm going to have to stay with it because man. That's too that's too for you Michelle. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sticking on track. Right. Um, so I think a complementarian. I don't. I don't think a complementarian would be okay with that. I don't think they would. I, I think they would. Uh, I think they would cite a lot of the sexual abuse that's going on in the military. That's kind of come up as a big issue. Um, and I think they would say that women don't belong as much as gay people don't belong. Like it's a. So in that way, complementarians are morally superior. Yeah, I guess. Is there such thing as a modern complementarian? As a modern complementarian? Or a, a moderate? Yeah, so when Jessica was saying there's a spectrum, there is definitely a spectrum. Uh, there are some way more tolerable complementarians out there than I think the, the new neo-complementarians have come out. But they're, as with everything, the most vocal, and that's the stuff that you hear about the most. Um, but I think most complementarians would because of how they view male and female roles being so vastly different, there's not really overlap that a woman would not, should not seek the military. So you read, you said you read some stuff on that? Uh, yeah, it's recently come out since they just let women enter combat. Um, the complementarian leaders, um, foresee the Council of Biblical and Manhole Women have put stuff out that their biggest argument is that it's a man's role to protect and defend, and so mm-hmm. and that's not what a woman does, and that she will be a distraction which may or may not be true, but she will be a distraction on the combat field. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a man's fault. I, don't know, I mean, <laughs> real recently, just the last couple weeks, a couple big news stories have come out highlighting some of these issues. So, mm-hmm. I think the most recent one was a 12-year-old girl was kicked off the football team. Yeah. And the reason stated, the reason that was cited was because it was a distraction for the guys. They mm-hmm. didn't have less cool thoughts. Uh, and there's this, there's also been this big modesty yeah. thing going on the internet that's caused a lot of spark, particularly when the Galatarians, things like that. Yep. With the whole emphasis of girls need to wear the appropriate clothing because the guys can't help themselves. And there's this awkward balance of wanting to be responsible in, in the way you dress and things like that, and then also not feeling it to be correct to have to be blamed for certain things. Uh, so to be blamed for guys' lustful thoughts uh, and things of that nature as if, well, we could just say in a closet if it was that hard for you guys uh, <laughs> you know, to kind of control it. Um, well, I find that interesting because um, in a lot of your positions, you're saying, heresy, oh, goodness, the girls are making all the trouble. And now we're really saying, but the guys are having the issues. It's, it, it's, yeah, 
has a bit of a, it's, it seems to smell like a bit of a double standard. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But they, they would say that, that <clears throat> it's grounded in biblical principles and these roles are, are seen in scripture. I think they'd also use like, um, I know that you mentioned spirit as gender neutral, mm -hmm. but they would probably be quick to point out that God the Father and God the Son are both male pictures, mm -hmm. and that's two out of three of the of the Trinity. So that's a the dominant uh, metaphors that we hear and read about God are male. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't egalitarian perhaps say more from Zach if you had a question of the idea that Jesus was not only just like a metaphor, metaphorically man as the Father. Uh, so you used father, but God the Father still not a male uh, per se. Jesus was though. I mean, he mm -hmm. and anatomically was a male. Yeah. Would that what kind of significance might that hold, or not supposed to hold for an egalitarian? Well, I think he would get into problems saying that. I mean, if I don't know, that's Christology and stuff, and so. But if Jesus is the perfect human being. Um, I would be careful to say that that somehow pertains to his maleness because then you do have an ontological problem for females. Um, it was interesting. I read some. I didn't read it in my, from my notes, but N.T. Wright um, and his he's got this. He did a uh, lecture on this, but he talks about how um, generally in the discussion we talk about commentarians, particular particular that part of the Imago Day is that. M there's male and female, but N.T. Wright points out that you have male and female with the animals and even, he says, with the plants with having seeds. Mm -hmm. This is something that comes before. It's not unique to humanity. And so mm -hmm. it's like it's not likely that it's unique to the Imago Dei part, to being created in the image. So um, I don't know how important it was that Jesus is a man. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, it, there are obvious ties with, with Christology, with the story of Jesus, mm -hmm. even with Trinity, uh, so, the Mago Dei, with God's Trinity, we're created in the image of a community of three, mm -hmm. in some mm -hmm. sense. And also the idea of the Trinity gets into questions people debated for a long time, which is, is there order and hierarchy in the Trinity? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Is there subordination? Is the Son subordinate to the Father and the Spirit subordinate mm -hmm. to the Son? Uh, or are they all three completely mutually uh, reciprocating in, in kind of equality and submission? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So even I think Trinity would fit in with, with the Mago Dei right. type stuff. So Galatianism argued that there isn't hierarchy hierarchy within the Trinity within the Trinity, and so to use that is a to try and compare. Well, there's hierarchy in the Trinity. Well, Galatians would say that's not a legitimate view of the Trinity. Yeah, Zachary. Uh, for the complementarian view, um, it seems that it understands the roles, um, or, or it understands men and women in terms of marriage. Uh, so that there there is a partnership there, mm -hmm. um, but in new heavens and new earth, you don't have that there, mm -hmm. uh, which would kind of lend itself that we would we would need to rethink what what those roles would be if mm -hmm. there are them. Yeah. Um, and I mean, how would you? That's, that's a really good question, um, and I think you pointed out something significant in complementarianism, in that if if the highest um, I guess role that a woman can have is motherhood then as Christians that would require marriage so there's um, and I, I think they'd be quick to say that celibacy is something to be celebrated and that if you're a woman you, you still 
participate in support roles, even as you're single and if you're a male, you are, you know, Paul is our mm-hmm. leading shining hero, right? Yep. He's, he's single. Um, but where a lot of the rubber meets the road in general interacting with each other is marriage. So I think that's why there's so much information on how they play with each other because that's that's where you've got the issue. Um, and, and honestly where they think a lot of the trouble happens is when those roles are not defined. That's, that's where there is the most at stake, I think, with complementarianism is like the, it's the fight for traditional marriage traditional in all sense of the word, so excluding homosexuality and excluding divorce and things like that. So, um, as far as getting to your question, what would gender val- uh, gender roles look like, new heaven, the new earth? I think complementarians would still, still say that there's hierarchy. Even C.S. Lewis argued this in, well, I guess he didn't really formulate the argument, it was in his fantasy series, um, that there is there's most likely gonna be hierarchy in heaven um, you have the parable of the talents, right? One's given five, the other's given two, one's given one. So you've been entrusted with these different responsibilities. There's there's hierarchy. Um, you could argue that that's not referring to new heaven, new earth, and that that's referring to Israel now. But um, I think they would say that there is still going to be hierarchy in heaven, even if there's not going to be marriage. So the gender roles that they have stated would still mesh, would still work. I guess I'm not sure who this would be being directed to, but and I think you guys both touched on it, but I'm still having a hard time with the fact that I feel like God really made men and women very different. And, mm-hmm. you know, science proves that. Mm-hmm. They're just so different. And maybe maybe I'll answer my own question in that. I, I just I feel like women have a heart for mothering. And it's different. And men often have a heart for leadership and, and, and I feel like God made them that way so how I, I guess I don't know I guess it wouldn't necessarily be I just feel like maybe you know you had kind of said men also need to nurture just like women do but I don't know if they're made that way I don't know if God made them that way can we I, actually sharpen the question on both sides so I was hoping that that could be up as well uh-huh. so for for the egalitarian mm-hmm. what do you do with a seemingly axiomatic truth that men and women are different even down to characteristic traits across the, the population. And then on this end, what do you do for the evidence that there's overlap? Mm-hmm. And I mean, particularly in kind of what we were saying with gender being less and less defined, sexuality being less and less defined, and this idea of spectrum for everything. Mm-hmm. No one's the caricature. There are men who are more feminine, there are women who are more masculine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I think you have conflicts on both sides mm-hmm. when it comes to gender and male, or male and female. That's mm-hmm. so why, I, I mean, a lot of this is going to be from personal experience. Um, I mean, going back to, I don't think the Bible describes what is feminine and masculine because I do think you get into the problem if a woman is different from maybe what our West, you have to keep in mind this is Western mm-hmm. culture too, what mm-hmm. we usually tend to think of. Um, then that means something, the women start to feel like there's something wrong with them mm-hmm. because, well, mm-hmm. I don't, that's not what I feel like I'm gifted towards or drawn to. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't have that nurturing I mean I know women that are like this they don't have as big of a desire to nurture but I know several men who are stay-at-home dads and they're part of Christian families um, that 
are very much they enjoy doing that and they enjoy taking care of the of the children um, in that way and being the hands-on nurturer um, so I think that I know I would say it's really hard to put in a box okay well I, we know that men and women are different but we also know that women and women are different and that men and men are different and I think it's very difficult to kind of say what those things are what makes us different I know we know biologically I mean obviously women are the only ones that can actually give birth and so mm -hmm. in some sense women are tied to childbearing and to taking care of babies when they're young um, because they need us to survive mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and the same way that you know men are the only ones that can actually beget whatever what word we want to use beget children um, so, I mean so there are things that are tied to us biologically but it's very difficult um, I don't know I think from my own experience feeling like I don't fit into that box of what my culture or what especially what complementarianism says mm -hmm. is biblical womanhood and me feeling like I don't fit like I'm not June Cleaver <laughs> and I don't want there's nothing wrong with June Cleaver if you you know but that's not who I am so can I probe you a little bit uh-huh okay this might get a little awkward and you can just tell me no uh -oh. <laughs> but um I, I I kind of wonder in our society where we're at now is if we're being forced from those roles that we're um that as children we're being um, molded to say you shouldn't one you shouldn't be a June Cleaver and it's it's not going to happen that safe and caring home and that submissive role that we've been created for is going to be allowed for you um, do you think you've ever had the you know when you really consider deep down those desires to have that you know Disney princess world or um, to have that you know that perfect ideal family I think a, a lot of girls as we grow up have we have those secret desires that's why Disney's breaking in the millions right now um, but has the our broken world um, taken that from us what do, what do you think uh, I think my thought would be that a lot of the stuff we watch growing up so like Disney that is going to obviously it's that nurture versus nature right. question but I think that is going to shape so girls think that if they grow up and that's what they have to be mm -hmm. I liked Xena I mean, I'm yeah. this now, but that's what I liked and I played with the boys on my street and I you know um, that's just who I was I mean I did like princess stuff too I mean don't get me wrong but that's again this is very this is a part of our Western culture right, absolutely. Um, I mean there are other cultures in the world that are it's not very has common but there are matriarchal cultures where the women are the ones that are in charge and mm -hmm. so they don't even I mean this is it's more of a normal thing but that's not what egalitarian is arguing for not <laughs> matriarchy it's equality um, so I mean I don't know I think I mean I'm, I'm an adult now and the more I grow the more I realize that those things that I wanted when I was little are not necessarily what I really wanted and how I feel I've been gifted and mm -hmm. so I mean I grew up I wanted tons of kids and now I, the more I seek out what my calling is that's less a part of what I want you know the more you see so. my grandkids the less you want to <laughs> <laughs> we didn't want to say it rich so, so. my kids um, <laughs> I'd like, I mean, I'd like to hear from maybe the males in the audience about, yes, about isn't that the, interesting about, well, I'm just, I'm just saying like from the perspective, we're talking about you know, 
how men are wired. So, yeah. I think that was a really interesting question that Chris brought up. And, uh, you know, I, you don't have to go very far in personal experience or observate, observate observing anything to realize how different we are. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the titles of this thing was kind of the role of the church. And so, you know, if extend that the grandkids thing. Uh, if my grandsons were all about the same age and Liberty were raised by a pack of wolves <laughs> with no human influence at all, they would be way Liberty would be a lot more refined than my grandsons. <laughs> but as far and, and they would they would be like me later, like like they'd like to go out in the garage and make sawdust, you know, and it surely has no interest. But, but to the point of leadership roles in the church, I guess I, what I'm wondering is, I, I know my own answer is, is there any kind of uh, special maleness that enhances that? Or, you know, that, to me that's kind of a question. Um, and, and Paul talks about it, you know. Um, and you, you guys have brought, brought up the point. But yeah, to me, we're different. There's no question about that. Is it important? You mean just maleness as far as leadership or yeah. like, like maleness and female? So acknowledging that there are differences in male and female, are those differences maybe, do they speak to why it's better for males to be in leadership or more effective or things like that? Right. And I'll go back to your, you know, your point uh, earlier was, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, you know, I think you said, you, you intimated anyway that a lot of the differences between boys and girls are cultural. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm saying no. I'm, I'm saying I'm, I'm saying yes, you know, to, a, to an extent for sure. But we're just really different. But you know, I extend that to is are those differences, you know, is one inherently better for leadership in the church or not? You know, is, is male or female better suited or worse suited or what? What not? To me, that's that's kind of the issue. I would say. I mean, for I mean, I would just disagree. I guess on what I mean. I guess I wasn't. Saying, assume, saying that, that I mean, you give me a girly girl, I can show you a less what we would consider a girly girl. So I just, I, I think it is very difficult to say what, what makes a woman feminine and what makes mm -hmm. a man man. I mean, that mm -hmm. is something, it, it, and there are differences between different cultures. Mm -hmm. um, I have problems with saying, you know, that bravery and courage and protecting and leadership are masculine traits. I agree with you on that. Um, what was the second part of your question? I, it was a meandering question. Most of it's wrong. You know, basically, I just wanted to react to what I just said. Um, I think it was the, does male, the okay. difference of a male. I mean, there have been, even in the recent election, you had a female running with the chance of being elected mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. president. And this issue came up. I heard all the time. Yep. Sometimes in jest and joking. But the idea of like, is there something about being female that would make us more nervous about having them in charge of the country? Uh, versus a man in terms of the caricature that females are more emotional and yeah, react quicker, hold grudges, things like that. Not endorsing any of those. That's mm -hmm. the caricature, right? Mm -hmm. So just like, uh, I mean, what would happen if they had the nuclear codes? I mean, if that if that was who was calling the shots. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, is there something about being male that makes it safer or more effective? 
think it's going to show us that maleness does not necessarily help. We're going to go with that argument. I think Jessica brings up history as a great shining example. Yeah. That's male leadership. I think all the great bombs have been dropped have been dropped by men. No. <laughs> no, I'm saying if you want to use the pattern of history is all, but I think for going back to that Genesis and what Imago Day is, is that somehow it's both male and female. Um, so I don't know that the characteristics, like so, leadership goes to this is a male quality. Or there's something about male that I mean that's what I would say the egalitarian viewpoint would say that that isn't applicable. I guess that's not the way they view it as opposed to complementarians would say. Yeah. yeah. So basically complementarians would say look look at the money or follow the money. So you've got the men conference coming up. You've got the wild at heart books. I don't know if any of y'all have read the mm-hmm. wild at heart things. And those are very much like guys are geared this way. Mm-hmm. They are tooled this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has resonated with a lot of men. Mm-hmm. Um, likewise the female version of it, the captivating books, Mm -hmm. have resonated with a lot of females. Mm -hmm. Um, So that would be, I think, the the complementarian's go-to argument. And if I could just say something egalitarian, otherwise I'm going (laughs) to... Sorry, I have uh, cards on the table. Let her talk, or I'll hear it all night. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like those daddy cats in the church? I am am presenting the complementarian view, but I am myself egalitarian in full confession. So, um, what I would say... Can you go the whole over the room? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I held on for a really long time. Um, Speaking to the differences, uh, I agree with you, Rich, um, maybe more so than Jessica would be willing to lend about the the nature part, that we are, by nature, axiomatically just 100% different. But I think that that only bolsters the egalitarian view that we need both voices. So Mm -hmm. going to your second question of, Mm -hmm. is there something inherently male that we need as leadership? I think because churches are made up of men and women, we need both men and women in leadership. We need both of those voices. Um, And I don't think that, again, I think that women can speak to men and men can speak to women. Um, I think they're charged with that. I don't know if... I don't know how this is jiving with Jessica. She may have some other thoughts, but but I think that that difference only strengthens the fact. Why do why are we not letting women have the voice alongside? I think maybe a lot of things could have been avoided. Um, I don't know. There was a, a post on Huffington Post, um, and it, it was about youth pastors and their hot wives. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if any of y'all had these like youth pastors growing up, but I'm I'm telling you. Maybe just because I work at a Christian school, but every youth pastor that gets up there at Chapel Thursday talks about his hot wife. And it's it's so objectifying to me. Like, it's just this, you know, the value of this woman that you've just said is, is her outward appearance. Mm. Um, and I just think that, and the guy that was writing the article was like, and I went to this conference and there were men and women both speaking, and he was like, and funny, the hot wife thing, comment didn't come up, and it's maybe because... Maybe you shouldn't do that if there are these women that you have to consider. So I just think that, I don't know, two cents. I'll but go then, back to the complimentary. <laughs> um, but then how do we reconcile the fact that men and women think very differently on, on, the, on the same topic? And so how do we come to an agreement? How can we mm-hmm. be that servant leader to one another? How can we compliment one another and say... Let's try to find like a middle ground if 
the way we are wired to think are completely different. You know, because there's a great book called Men Think Like Waffles, Women Think Like Spaghetti. And it's, it, it talks, it's, it's a weird title. It's the title, it's a deep academic work. It's good. And it, it just goes on to talk about, you know, how men and women think very differently. Mm-hmm. You know, so how can we, especially as one who's about to go into a marriage, mm-hmm. how can we serve one another and be able to communicate and reconcile topics that are, that we see on polar opposite? Yeah, I I know you're going to want to say something. And I'm gonna, I would say, this is my advice to you. <laughs> going into, there is no hope. Call your pastor every night. I would say that you have the cost. The worry is there for a reason, right? You, we do tend to think differently. I thought I was a great communicator until I got married, and I was like, I thought I was being so clear. (laughs) Um, So, and And then she heard me speak and realized how far. Oh yes. Patriarchy is I'm just no, he's laughing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many stories. There's so many. Maybe about decorating the house. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so, what I would say is that the so, the complementarian solution is not a solution. It's a cop out. It's okay. having someone say, "This is the move." That doesn't create a happy marriage. That creates a scoreboard. Mm. Um. So I, I, but the guys are on top of the scoreboard, so we're never going to feel about it. <laughs> right. Um, so Sorry. maybe that's worked out better in, a, better in other households. Um, yeah. But I think if, if you're in that kind of a, a deadlock, mm-hmm. uh, my counsel would be to seek outside counsel as well. Mm. Not, maybe, not maybe just saying this is the decision, but... Realizing maybe we need an outside perspective. Maybe we need to talk to this married couple who's been married for 50 years. Please mm-hmm. help us. Have, mm-hmm. What is the secret? You know. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't think the making the, having the authority, the decision maker. Mm-hmm. I think that's the shortcut. I mean, I would say though, as a, maybe a complementarian rebuke or rebuttal to that, even in day to day life outside of a relationship between genders. You see that authority is oftentimes needed, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily a bad thing as much as it's an effective thing. And it's just a agreed upon plan of a way to get things done in businesses and organizations and communities. Uh, there's only so far a committee can take you mm-hmm. uh, before. I mean, I've seen this. We see this in board meetings at the church. I mean, you get in decisional gridlocks, and if no one has any sort of hierarchy of power, nothing ever gets done. Particularly in a one-on-one situation where people's opinions often just get entrenched mm-hmm. instead of meeting together. And it's not due to lack of love or lack mm-hmm. of willingness to compromise, mm-hmm. but uh, I actually think this is the better decision. You think this is the better decision. And in almost every aspect of life, there's usually a person who's able to rise up at the end of the conversation, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully with a servant attitude, and say, here's the direction we're going. And other people feel comfortable and feel safe in saying, okay, we're on board. We'll follow you, even if we necessarily disagree. With that, I think that it, I think that that would work well with the egalitarian view if you broke it up by strengths rather than by gender. Um, but I will say that with that, it's not like a business in that if y'all are opposing on something that you both agree, y'all can't go your separate ways. Some somebody has to concede, and 
there are there are going to be times whenever that's just that's not a, that's not really an option that either one of y'all are ready to make at that point in time. I mean, so towards that, I mean, how how do you resolve those kinds of situations where you think that y'all both may be equally strong, mm-hmm. but uh, but it, it, y'all have opposing views. So I, I agree that with that's not yeah. gender based; it's it's strength based. But what if you don't think that you are necessarily weaker than your spouse or the other way around, mm-hmm. and you're not coming to agreement? I mean, practically speaking, it's going to be different for every situation. But I think that you hit on the goal. It's not that at the end of the day someone's going to make the decision of what we're doing. I think at the end of the day someone's going to concede out of self sacrifice. And I think that would be one of the diff- that what egalitarian would say that, depending on the situation, depending on the circumstance. No. Do you have I'm a question? No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Ask a question at home. <laughs> that, so at the end of the, um, depending on the situation, I mean, some a situation may affect one of the one of the people in the relationship more than the other. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, and this is not, we're not perfect people, but that's what we're working towards. Um, so I think as idealistic as it is, that's what egalitarianism would hope for and realizing that in the practicalities it's going to be difficult to work out, but we're, we're getting there. Um, I would like so. to jump in and discuss a little more about the scoreboard. Now, I have to tell you, for most of my life, I completely agreed with both of you on your exact standpoint. And for some reason, God is leaving me in a completely different arena, and it's terrifying. But I think there's useless conflict when everyone is trying to be the one in power. Even if you're trying to be sub- subservient, you're still trying. You're still going to the same level. There's there's always difficulties. Um, Bible says outdo one another and showing love to each other. So I think as long yeah, as we're going so down, that's the good direction. <laughs> yeah, I would say that's the what I'm picking up on the difference. So my stance would say if there is conflict or resolution or conflict that needs to be resolved, then you have the designated person who, who decides. And mm-hmm. the, the woman is the one who submits to that decision mm-hmm. because she loves and respects and trusts her husband. Um, so it's not like a, a domineering... Right. This is this is the way you know. It's it's only when there's disagreement, and then you have the decision maker. Whereas the egalitarian view would say, the the emphasis would be on the concession. So, if there's a disagreement, there is ultimately someone is going to to concede. So in both in both cases, in mm-hmm. a decisional deadlock, somebody concedes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this, in the commentarian, it's always the woman. Right. In the egalitarian. You're almost sometimes, hopefully, trying to outdo each other in conceding. Uh, right. Sometimes he concedes. Sometimes she concedes. Sometimes he concedes. Would that be a correct statement? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to concede first. So that's what Mike was saying in that sometimes it, the complementarian side can be a lot smoother if there's, you know, the designated person you just commit and trust that your husband's going to make the decision, right. and ultimately the responsibility between him and God. It's, it's, Kind of up on, on him. So right. I don't know too many men who are excited about that, you know, in the complementarian view that they are the one on the chopping block, so to speak. Well, that comes back down to a very, having a very strong male presence in the home and building up strong men mm-hmm. through the church. I mean, that's like, that's well, is not opposed to that, strong men. Right. They just say there needs to be equal, equally equal strong submission. women. Um, so, yeah. These are what you're <laughs> Yes. yes. Um, 
speaking from some experience, I've been married, it'll be 30 years this December. Mm. And I've, I've been sitting here this whole time trying to think of one instance. Now, I, I'm the first to say Jay's the head of our household, spiritual head and the head, and I defer to him. But I can't think of one time in the past 30 years uh, of when we've had to fall back on that. Everything that we do, we submit to one another because he's strong in that he submits to me just as Christ submitted himself to the body of the church, even so, you know, even more so as a, a sacrifice. So we do the, you know, the discussion thing and I can't, I mean, I can't think of one instance where I've had to say, okay, fine, you're the head, you pick. <laughs> you know, never, never I mean, mm -hmm. maybe, I, I don't know. I can't think of one instance. It's in probably because y'all are patient. Just in that, y'all might have it, like, y'all might talk it out. And you'll disagree, but rather than saying, this is what it's going to be in that moment, you yeah. say, well, why don't we come back I mean, to it in a week? I never pulled or, that, this, that I mean, card of, I'm the head, you know, and I, yet, I'm, I'm the first to say, you are the head. Mm -hmm. But then um, I take my role very serious as um, a partner in the marriage, and um, I... Um, I'm definitely, um, I would describe myself as a prayer warrior. And so I lift up any decision, every decision in that. And my husband knows that and appreciates that. And so he's, he knows I'm very sensitive to the, the spirit mm -hmm. and where you know, we're being led. Now, not that he's like, okay, you leave. But if he's, if he's a practical, he's an engineer. So mm -hmm. he approaches mm -hmm. things very practical. And he'll say, okay, logically or practically, this is what I'm feeling. You know, this is what we should do. Now, what do you think? Because he knows I'm more, I don't know, in tune with the spiritual side, mm -hmm. maybe? And we'll discuss it. And um, we come to decisions where there we go. And I, I don't know. It's weird. I can't think of one instance. Let me ask you, years. do you think that that is a normal Situation between married couples, and with no agenda behind the question, and then the follow-up. Uh, if not, if you could identify maybe one or two things you think create that situation. I would like to hope and think it was normal, but from what we're seeing now, mm. it doesn't seem to be. Yeah. And I think that's so sad. I do know I, that that's what I have been praying for for my kids, mm. and I'm always telling them. This is what you need. Don't settle. This mm. is, I mean, marriage is great. Do it mm. God's way, God's plan, and it works out. But then he's, I've never felt that, oh, you're the man, and who do you think you are? Because he's never had that, oh, I'm going to crush you down. Mm. And he is a powerful leader in the secular world. I mean, he is. But even then, he's very transparent and mm. honest and, and full of integrity. Would he be any less in our leadership in the home? So I don't, I don't have a problem with the leader, and that's why I'm sitting here going, I don't know which we are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd say we never have to pull that out and say, 
And it's on my sheet as one of the myths of egalitarianism is that egalitarians reject traditional models, and that's not necessarily true. If you so feel gifted and that's the way y'all want to operate your household, um, that's fine. Um, but there are other families that are, feel like they're gifted and they're going to operate in a different way. Um, so that's why we would say that egalitarians would say that's great if you know the woman wants to take the. And when we say traditional, we should see that this is traditional Western America. Mm -hmm. um, usually, especially with 1950s, what they bring up with like the woman can't work and needs to stay at home. That's 1950s mm -hmm. traditional America. That's not ancient Near East or Greco-Roman context. Uh, that's not how it is with the poor, where you have to work. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as I mean. There's no that's a galatrian doesn't say the women have to go and be leaders and work out in the and work out of the home and mm -hmm. men stay home and watch the kids. It's based on gifts, so we'd affirm that and applaud it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah. But I, I mean, I am a degreed woman. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you're like the stay at home. I don't know what you do. I'm just saying as far as operating, if you want to have the, a man and woman come together and decide we're going to have the man's going to be in the leadership position and make those final decisions. And the woman's going to be in this role, and they want to do it out of that's a form of mutual submission, mm -hmm. I think, for an egalitarian. Mm -hmm. But it's not mandated, I guess, would mm -hmm. be. Yeah. But I don't think it has to come to the, to your position, what I know it's not your position, right, but no, no, what but you were representing yeah. tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it has to come to that. Mm -hmm. If you submit to one another, yeah. In love, well, and there are some that it, make differences. Yeah, and some will have, they'll just be complementarian in the home and egalitarian in the church, mm -hmm. or sometimes it's vice versa, but probably not. More often it's complementarian yeah. in the home and egalitarian in the church. So, like I said, there's that spectrum, so mm -hmm. you kind of find yourself, people will find themselves in different positions, mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. So you can be one at home and one outside at home? Yeah, I, 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 can, I can see that. It's a fairly common, actually. Yeah, it's uh, common you get the scenarios, the like, mm -hmm. classic, like, Scenarios brought up like so: if the woman's the pastor of the church, but the man's supposed to be the head of the household. But if she makes decisions about the church that he disagrees with, so at the church she has full responsibility and authority. Mm -hmm. At home, though, he has responsibility. He's like, "That's the wrong. Don't make that decision." Mm -hmm. She's like, "Well, I'm the pastor of the church. I can't tell me what to do." He's like, "Well, I'm the head of you. You're my wife. What are you going to do?" <laughs> what if they're in between the home and the church? <laughs> <laughs> You're not needing a flow chart of authority that you refer to at these. Right. Oh, sorry. I was going to say we're at 9:20, uh, so I know my head's just starting to get spinning with questions, but uh, we'll probably want to wrap it up a little soon. If there are any like pressing questions or last comments or anything like that. Jay. I was going to say that most of my friends are complementarian because we, we, we talk about this kind of thing. And I didn't really care because I never really thought about it until a couple months ago. But, but most, most of them will, I guess, concede that women should can serve in like a leadership capacity. But typically they say, well, they shouldn't be pastors, and that the buck stops with the man. Like, the man, it's his responsibility to protect the family. It's his responsibility, like, to be the spiritual leader and the physical leader. Like, he can submit to his wife, but ultimately, if something goes wrong, it's his fault, and he has to take the blame, and he's held accountable. Ooh, look at your mom's face. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But that's what I'm <laughs> 
But I'm just, I don't know, I guess you can comment on that. That's just what a lot of people my age, and the girls, girls too, are like, yeah. I'm, all, I'm all for that. I don't know. That, w that was my experience growing up as well. Um, and so I, I think it, I think it's something that is the majority view, I don't want to say in the Bible Belt, but maybe you more prevalent. It's probably more prevalent. That's probably that's probably why you were were experiencing it, um, particularly at the school Ooh. that you're at. Um, no judgment, go Aggies. I love Anim, but um, but you're just gonna find a bit of a more complementary view. Um, well, it's, a, it's an interesting point. Well, that it's not as if all females react negatively yeah. to it. Mm -hmm. For many, many, it's. At the least, very comfortable. At the most, I mean, the biblical view laid out. Mm -hmm. Well, it was submission is in a way getting a free pass, which works both ways too. It's just not expressed that way. For you know, when you submit and it's under Christ and you're doing it that way, there's just there's beauty in it, and mm -hmm. yeah, I think men miss out on that yeah. in the traditional mm -hmm. roles. Did you have a question for like how to? Uh, I just typically conversation doesn't end anywhere or go anywhere productive after that point. So <laughs> <laughs> give him some of Jessica's books. <laughs> I think, I, I don't bring up an impact. I want to. Yeah, I want to hear your comment. <laughs> um, I'll back to your question, but go. No. I was gonna say, um, I like as a person again as a person who's about to go into a marriage. Growing up, I think it has to do a lot with our Western culture. And that's how that's how we were how I was raised to think. I mean, I grew up in a, a white household, even though my father is Mexican, and I visited his family multiple times. And in a, in a Hispanic culture, uh, women are often seen as submissive to the husband, and the husband is the one to to be the provider for the family. But I don't think it really. I don't think we really think, or excuse me, let me rephrase that. I don't think we really think about it until we're actually in the process of getting married and whenever we're actually in the process of applying how are we going to form our household how are we going to shape it how are we going to make our family work but those women seem happy yeah. in that position yeah they weren't complaining about i need to go get my degree because i hate cooking exactly so they're not gonna so that's okay yeah it, there's nothing it's fine there's nothing wrong with it the deal is not that if that's if that's what the woman likes or enjoy in that most most women that I've ever met when they talk about a man that they would be willing to marry it's a leader mm -hmm. all right it, it's not someone that that steps back all the time it's somebody mm -hmm. that steps up mm -hmm. uh, so they, they appreciate that but imagine if they wanted to go get their degree and they were told they couldn't because they were a woman. But like, like that, that's up. what I think yeah. is the what they're egalitarian is, is going and fighting against. Yeah. Or the the man they married steps up, but usually with a bottle in one hand and a fist formed on the other. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is the reality of I think the majority of women historically and in the world. The men have been leaders, but not in a very good way. Right. Mm -hmm. She goes to school while he's at work, though. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that that was just about it. Is that 
it can sound great whenever we're talking about it, or one way can sound great when we're talking about it, but until we're actually in the in the stage of life where we're actually trying to apply and trying to figure out what it is or how we're going to form a family, how we're going to make it function, I think that's whenever the rubber hits the road, and that's whenever you you really make the decision and try to try to make it work. That's all I was gonna say. So I'd say practically speaking, I would just be careful for my you know my experience where I don't necessarily I don't identify with every quality that we would consider girly or something mm-hmm. like that um, or feminine and so I think it's got to be about the individual it's, you can't mm-hmm. go with this mindset well this is how women think so this is how I'm going to treat my wife mm-hmm. and this is how I'm going to approach this subject because I, as much as I, I get it that men and women are different but you tell me let's put into boxes what that means mm-hmm. and I'll show you someone that doesn't fit in there mm-hmm. okay and that's where I'm coming from. Okay. Um, and so that that's why at first we need to be recognized that we're both made in the image of God, and so we're human. We're mm-hmm. people, um, disciples of Christ, and that and our gender does affect that somehow because it's intrinsically a part of us. Um, but I don't know that you can put that. We you can lump all the women together and all the men together. Sure. Um, because there are a lot of women that are and submissive roles that don't want to be there because it's not that they don't want to submit, that they want equal submission, I guess, and they want the opportunity to use their gifts um, and express their gifts. And I think you have to, you work that out as you go along in your relationship. We didn't start off the way we were, we are now. So, yeah. All right, we want to thank Jessica and Michelle for being here tonight. I'll pray for us and we'll love you.